Good morning. Welcome to Resurrection Church. Now, hey, that last song, Brother Nick wrote that last song. He's a gifted man. He's wrote a couple songs and just, he's, praise the Lord. How's everyone doing? Doing good? It's technically fall, isn't it? Yeah, I know what that means. Pumpkin spice lattes. That's right. That's right. Come on in, guys. Does everyone have a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, you have some in the back. I've got. I got. I brought my extra Bible. If everybody wants to borrow my Bible, um, come on in. You know, what I love is. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we take time to uh, to go uh, through the Scripture. We go verse by verse. I mean, God's word is deep, isn't it? Uh, and uh, until we graduate from the depth of God's word, we won't be out of God's word. We'll always be in God's word. <clears throat> and so I'm enjoying, uh, we're going through the book of Hebrews, book of Hebrews. And I am, enjo- I don't know about you guys, how many of you guys are enjoying this, this study so far? I chose it because I was like, I want to, I want to, uh, uh, I mean, every, every book of the scripture is inspired. It's, it's all profitable. It's all good stuff, right? I could teach Leviticus and get excited about it, but I want to have like a, a high Christology book, you know, and Hebrews is like super high Christology. So Hebrews chapter seven, we're going to be Hebrews chapter seven and Lord willing, we'll cover the first 10 verses. We might not get past verse three, so <laughs> we'll see. Uh and I, I'm not going to apologize for that, um, because every word is important, isn't it? So if you remember, the book of Hebrews, is it's a sermon, okay? It's basically a sermon written to encourage a discouraged church. Uh, these, uh, the audience uh, the, uh, the, uh, was, a, was a house church, small, probably like our size, maybe smaller, and they had gone through a lot of things and had become discouraged, wondering, okay, is, is Jesus, okay, is this it? Because we're going through a lot of hard stuff, and I didn't know this was part of the, the deal to, to go through hard times, you know. And, uh, and so the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them that Christ is far superior than any other option you'll encounter in life. I don't think we realize what we have in Christ. Okay, let me just say, before we go into the scripture here. So we were singing that one song. What was the song before? Christ is risen. I was just reflecting on as we were singing. You know, on Sundays, uh, a lot of times we, we worship our favorite football team. And we become very excited when they win, Right? Not me, not you, to say we in general. I'm using a general you. Maybe Daniel. Cowboys don't have much to offer this year because they got hurt. No, but I was just thinking is that we, we think about this. When our team wins, what do we do? And we, we celebrate. I mean, we were there with the Cardinals almost winning, and when they scored that touchdown, we were, we were jumping up like we won the lottery. Right? Even though technically it's our team, but we're not on the team. But it's our team, right? It's, it's, except for Daniel's team. It's not his team. But it's our team. It's, sorry, Daniel. I didn't mean to pick on you. 
But when Christ rose from the dead, now this is not part of the sermon. I'm just going to give this a little. When Christ rose from the dead, Scripture says that he was the first fruits. And in First Corinthians 15, that uh, Christ, uh, when he rose from the dead, was the first fruit of those who are asleep. In other words, because he rose from the dead, and because he's alive, the rest of us who believe in him are alive as well and will be risen, resurrected. He's pointing to the resurrection here. Okay, that's happy dance celebration time. Like every day we should live with the knowledge and understand that we've won, that Christ has won, and we, we walk in victory, walk in that celebration of, yeah, he, he won. Not, I'm going to be departed. It's more of like, because he's risen, he ro- we rose with him. That's why we celebrate. That's why we celebrate. That's, that, I don't know why I brought that on, but just, it just hit me as I was reflecting on that and as, we were, as we were singing. And I realized, we're, we're singing about a man who was dead and now is alive. I mean, dead people don't rise from the dead, but Christ did, amen? And that's why we come every Sunday. We celebrate one who is alive. And if he can conquer death and... Rest of life is, you know, okay, easy peasy, right? Well, sometimes we encounter things like the Hebrews. They encounter things that was hard, right? Difficult. And so the encouragement that the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, Christ is the only option. He's so far superior than any other option you have as far as if you're looking for other ways. Other, is there another, is there a, 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 is there a loophole that I can get into heaven through some other person or some other way? No, 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 it's, it's Christ alone. And so what he's already done is saying his Christ is superior to the angels because they thought the Old Testament, since it was mediated through angels, they thought, well, maybe angels are really something. You know, well, Jesus is, he's actually the son of God. He's better than angels. Well, maybe <clears throat> Joshua, Moses, yeah, they're great. They're wonderful, right? But Christ far superior to that. Now when we get into this section of Hebrews, he's going to say Christ is, has a better priesthood than Aaron, Aaron was important to the, if these were Jewish people, they became believers. That was a big deal. Priesthood was a big deal. To us, in 2022, it's not a big deal. Okay, let's just be honest. We're not used to the priesthood thing. We're not used to, that's foreign language to us. We're going to take a little bit of time to explain it because to them, it was very significant. Why? Because you did not go into the presence of God without a priest doing something for you. That's the whole book of Leviticus is basically, hey, God, Moses, Got you out in Exodus, at the end of Exodus, tabernacle. God's presence is in this tent. Now, how do you approach this God in this tent? You can't just walk in. Well, Leviticus is basically, the whole book is rules and regulations of how, what the priest has to do to make it so that you can at least approach this God. Okay? So we're not used to that. We're not used to the daily sacrifices, or daily, yearly, you know, the, the continual Blood that was shed, continual, we don't live with that. So we're not used to that kind of environment, but we're speaking to people who did understand that. And the priesthood was, was dominant in their life. That was, that was like, well, well, hold on here, because you, you can have some, you know, somebody rule over, rule over as king, but how do, you, how do you enter God's presence? What do you do? So what he's going to do here is gonna, he's going to argue that Jesus is of a different kind of priesthood than Aaron. That's far superior than Aaron's priesthood. 
and he's going to introduce a character named Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Okay? We've met him before. He's a mysterious guy. And we're going to ask the question, who is he? Who is that masked man? Because he's kind of like, you know, from nowhere. So in chapter 6, at the end of 6, verse 20, he says that, uh, that Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, and then verse 1 of chapter 7, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now, Melchizedek, the writer of Hebrews, has tried to introduce him before. Go back to chapter 5 and verse 10. So he had been trying to argue in this direction about Melchizedek. Then he had to stop. Look at verse 10. He says, um, uh, uh, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order, order of Melchizedek, concerning him, concerning this Melchizedek guy, we have a lot to say. We have much to say, but, and it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. So he wanted to start explaining the deep things of this man, but he had hit the pause button. Because you guys aren't ready. You guys are returning to drinking milk rather than eating meat. Some of you guys aren't even saved because, you know, and some of you guys are just, kind of, you're just not mature. So he had to go through chapter six to kind of go on that, that cul-de-sac, you know, that detour here, now he's coming back because he wants to get into some really meaty stuff. This is sort of like the heart chapter of the whole book of Hebrews. This is very significant. So he says, go back to chapter 7, this Melchizedek, um, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings who blessed him. Now Melchizedek is a mysterious guy. We're asking, who is he? He's a man of mystery. He's mentioned only a few times in the scripture. He's mentioned, which we'll go to those, in Genesis 14. He's mentioned a thousand years later in Psalm 110 by David, and now a thousand years later in Hebrews. Not a whole lot is said about him. But what the, art, what the Hebrew writer is going to argue is like, Christ is in his order of priesthood, and that order is actually more significant than the Aaronic priesthood. And of and is is an everlasting and you and and that and you need that okay we'll just put it that way you need that and and he's and he's better he's the only priest you'll need. We don't need any other priest. It's Christ. He's that. He's it. He is the. He is our high priest. Okay. Now who is Melchizedek? Well, first of all, he's a real person. Let's go to Genesis 14. Let's take a look at where we first meet him, um, and just kind of. Maybe I'll just get to verse 3. I don't know. Let's see. Genesis 14, we're going to go and look at verse 17. Now, Abram has received the, the promises of God. He's, at least God has told him in Genesis chapter 12. He's going to reaffirm it in Genesis 15. Okay? I'm going to make you, I'm going to give you land, seed, and I'm going to, the world is going to be blessed through you, Abraham. I'm going to bless you so that you're a blessing to others, right? Abraham has traveled with his nephew Lot, and Lot has been taken captive. So Uncle Abraham, Abraham at the time, we'll just call him Abraham because as we know him, right? Uncle Abraham has to go and rescue Lot from these kings that took him and other people captive. And Abraham's men were victorious. After the battle, we have verse 17. 
chapter 14 of Genesis says, then after he came back from striking down uh, Ketelamar, that's not a really a popular name for children today, but <laughs> after he came back down from striking this bad king and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And that's for refreshment because they just got, they're just done with a the, with the weary battle. Now he was a priest of God Most High, El Elion. Um, and then he pre, uh, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand then he Abram gave him Melchizedek a tenth of all so when he won he won a lot of stuff got a lot of st- got the spoils and he gave this man this the stranger Melchizedek 10% of all the stuff he just gave it to him and the, and then it goes on from what the king we're not going to look at king of Sodom that's well that does not put into what we're going to talk about today so Melchizedek is a real person. Now, some people would think, because of something it says in Hebrews, uh, that he was a pre-incarnate version of Christ. I don't believe that. I think he's a real person. He's a historical person. Um, he is, uh, we don't know much about him. He's on the scene, and he's off the scene. Pretty short, okay? Now, let me just say something here. We know that, well, go, go to Psalm 110. Go to Psalm 110. Sorry, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Psalm 110. In Psalm, 1, in Psalm 110, this is a Psalm of David, and he, first of all, he starts off in verse 1 describing the Messiah. He says, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord. So, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. So Yahweh says to the Messiah, which is Jesus, sit at my right hand, which is where actually Hebrews is going to say, after sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of, of God, right? Sit at my right hand and until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. And then skip to, uh, skip to verse 4, Psalm 110, verse 4. Yahweh, the Lord, whenever you see in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the sacred name. Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, right? That's, that's the sacred name. Technically, only a high priest was supposed to pronounce the name and knew the pronunciation. But my Bible says Yahweh, so I'm just going to say this <laughs> way. And some Bibles say Jehovah. Technically, there's no J in Hebrew. It's a combination of Adonai and, and Yahweh. Okay, so it's, anyway, just, and if you're, if you're in Israel, they're not going to say, they're not going to say, they're going to say Adonai or Hashem, the name. Okay, that's just a little side thing. Okay? Yahweh, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Now, who is he speaking to? The Messiah, the Lord, who's sitting at his right hand. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And then he ta- talks about the promises and the victory that he'll have. Uh, he'll crush kings, render justice, and everything else, right? Now, what's interesting is, so this is David and in a thousand years after the Genesis thing, right? 
David, who actually was, was a king, and sometimes he acted like a priest. But in between there was Moses and Aaron. And in the book of Numbers, there's a rebellion, and then there's, there's the, the tribe of Levi and Aaron who were faithful to God, and God says, you guys are going to be my priest. So in order to be a priest, Old Testament priest, you had to be a son of Levi, and specifically a son of Aaron. If you were a son of Levi, but not a son of Aaron, you helped out with, with the temple services. But the priestly stuff was the sons of Aaron, right? So now what the writer of Hebrews is, he's like, He's going to argue that this priesthood from Melchizedek that's reaffirmed by David is far superior than this priesthood. Remember, he's, he's arguing for the supremacy of Christ. You can't get better than Jesus. Amen, right? I don't know, I just want to... Anyway, so who is Melchizedek? He's a real man. He helped Abram after he, uh, he, he, helped, he, he rescued or he refreshed Abram. Uh, Abram honors him. We'll see that. Go back to Hebrews. Uh, he's obviously a man of mystery. But the writer of Hebrews is tapping into something about, about Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, is a type of Christ. See, he's not Jesus. Because when it says that, um, did I get that far? Um, can I, let me just read the first three verses, okay? Can I do that? Okay, so from this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God. Now, what, what some people would interpret is that, oh, he must be Jesus because he's got no mother or father. But what, he's, what this really means is as it's recorded in Scripture, he's presented this way and purposefully because he is a type of Christ. But in real life, he had her mom and a dad and he actually died, okay? That's not the point. The point is, is that he is like the Son of God. He is a type of Christ. Now, what's a type? A type is a... Uh, is a picture, right? There's, there's a picture that points to something greater, okay? Uh, there's, it's a, a, an analogy. So, for example, you have Jesus uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, in John chapter 3, uh, verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Well, that serpent in the wilderness, what happened was some, snurp, some snakes came into the camp and started biting people and started dying. And they said, Moses, help us out. So Mo, God told Moses, hey, make a bronze serpent, a bronze statue, and raise it up. And all people have to do is look at the serpent, and they'll be saved. And Jesus and the scripture says that that's a type of Christ, that whoever believes upon the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as he's lifted up. I'm like, if I be lifted up, I'll be drawn. You know, if that's salvation. It means that's a type, right? Uh, the Passover lamb is a type. Passover lamb. He was a, a male without blemish. John the Baptist says, there's the lamb of God who takes the wisdom. He's a type. He points to a greater reality. There's a type in the antitype. The antitype is a real thing. Okay? Um, some would argue that Joseph in the book of Genesis is a type of Christ. I think he is. 
So these are pictures. This points to Christ. So, so Melchizedek is a real person who happens to be a type of Christ. Um, he, is, he points to, uh, he has some realities about him uh, that, that point to Christ, that, that, Christ uh, that he has certain things that, that Jesus has in greater amount. Okay? Now, in these first three verses, or maybe four verses, there's like seven of them. So we're going to look at seven. So what are the types that, what are, what are the ways that Melchizedek pictures Christ? Well, the first one is Melchizedek, he's called, he's a king of righteousness. So, so look at, first of all, in verse 1, it says, Mel, for this Melchizedek, and he, he actually explains his name. Look at verse 2. The translation of his name, king of righteousness. So in Hebrew, Melchi is king. Zedek, or Zadik, is, is righteousness, king of righteousness. And some, and so he's, his very name means king of righteousness. Melchizedek would have been Maybe he was a righteous king. Maybe means he ruled rightly, honestly, fairly, right? With equity and justice, with uh, integrity, right? Well, Melchizedek would have been probably an honest king, right? He probably would have been, uh, just if, he, if his name, let's just, if his name is designated his character, he, had, he would have had a, a righteous character, right? A righteous uh, man, uh, he rules uh, with with straight and not crooked, you know. I'm not going to make any commentary on any politicians, but all of them fail in comparison to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All of us do, right? We're fallen. He probably would have governed with justice and would have been somebody you can trust. He's right. Well, obviously, he points to Jesus Christ, the King of Righteousness, right? The world, we're looking for, we're longing for somebody to come in and take charge that is right. And of course, it's all going to be completely disappointed until Jesus Christ comes back onto on earth and rules. That's just the, the honest truth. But Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness. The psalm says, in his days may righteous, the righteous flourish and abundance of peace until uh, the new moon is no more. It was said of David that he ruled and reigned with justice and righteousness. And Jesus, as the son of David, will rule rightly. That gives me, that gives me, that gives me, gives me like sort of peace and hope because, let's just be honest. I don't trust our leaders. I don't trust most men to lead us. I'll vote for them, I'll encourage them, I'll pray for them as we're told to pray and support and not, but at the end of the day, only Christ is the one who fills the bill. Now, obviously, we don't live in a, you know, we're not there yet, Christ is not returning yet, but that's my hope. Jesus Christ will rule with uprightness. Psalm, uh, Psalm 45 says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of uprightness is a scepter of your king. It begins with his character. He rules righteously because he is righteous. His own character is righteous. It's straight. It's honest. It's truth. Man, it'd be refreshing to have somebody talk and tell us the truth, right? Just to tell the way it is and to rule with, without ulterior motives. Jesus will rule in truth. Loving kindness and truth have met together, the psalmist says in Psalm 85. Righteousness and peace have kissed together. He's described as the righteous 
branch. And Jeremiah 23 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for you David, a righteous branch. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. You can trust him as the king of righteousness. He is trustworthy because he is trustworthy. He'll rule trustworthily, right? Let me just give you some, some insight about that and just, just uh, as a side note here. Um, a king, okay, in the Old Testament, a king ruled over the people, right? And typically in the Old Testament, how the king went, the people went. That's the general, you, you look at the kings of the Old Testament. If the king was righteous, he typically in, you know, endorsed the law and, you know, and, and followed God rightly. The people would follow after. It was a top-down thing. As the king went, the people went. So if the king was evil, which when the nation divided, all the northern tribes of Israel, all their kings were bad. They all followed after. They, their people went. So that's the influence the king has on his people. As, 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 and, and that comes from his character. So as the people went, as the, as the leader went, the king went. And Jesus Christ, of course, will rule righteously because that's who he is. Now we as the people of God, our desire, our goal then, is to follow Christ in that. To follow, if he's our king, let us reflect that same character. You can't have an unrighteous man of character or leader produce righteousness. Jesus says that's, it's, you can't have a bad, a bad tree, can't produce good fruit, right? So the first, the first thing is, well, my heart, God, it's, you know, is, it, is, it, is it righteous? Is it, ju- is, it, is it truthful? Now, now I'm starting to get set on my own toes because I'm also guilty of not, of being one who tells white lies and one who, one who misses, you know, who, who errs, and let's, let's just be honest. And so the, the standard is still there. You don't reduce this, the level of the standard. Christ is, still the, Christ is still our example and our standard and our, the one we hope to. So let it be, God, that, that my, in my own heart I start speaking the truth and be truthful with myself and with my God and with my family. It begins there. You want to change the society, you've got to change how we think and feel, how we, we believe in the inside, which is why we have scripture memory, why we get the, the word of God gets meditate in the word to get to your, to your heart. That's where it's at. You can pass 10,000 laws and never change the heart, right? So at the end of the day is, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? Well, look at the heart. And now that, reduce it down to yourself and say, now am I following the king of righteousness? Now we're waiting for Jesus to rule on this earth, on this earth but he's ruling in our hearts right now, which means he's presently, currently our king. Am I a good subject of that king? Am I straight like my, my king or am I crooked? I mean, I just, right? 
Focus on how to learn to walk in that righteousness. Okay, so he's so so if one way, the first way he's like he's a type of Christ is he's king of righteousness. Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness. Now look at the second one. He's king of peace. Look at verse one. He's king of Salem. And verse two, he says, This king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now Salem, we think, is Jerusalem. Now Salem um, is Sim, uh, from a similar root, from the root uh, that we get the word shalom. Shalom means peace. It means wholeness. He's king of righteousness and he's king of peace. Now, peace is on different levels. One peace, of course, is peace between parties. Right there, are, you know, there, there's something broken has got to be mended. Right, two sides come together. You, you hurt your brother's feelings. You, you did something, you know, and you got to make peace with them. You got to. Sorry, brother, I, I stole your toy car or something. I'm, or, or you have to go to court and make things right. That's, and then you'll be at peace, you know. There's that kind of peace. And so there's, there's, there's um, um, Melchizedek, who was a king of peace, king of Salem. Maybe he brought some wholeness to his community. Maybe he brought some tranquility. Maybe he brought his people together. And people experienced peace because of, how he ruled. Now, Jesus Christ, of course, is the king of peace, right? He's the prince of peace, right? He's the prince of peace. And one of the ways he establishes peace is between peace between us and God, right? I mean, the first thing first is we were at, mankind's at odds with God, and Jesus did something about that by paying the debt and making, making peace, right? Ephesians 2, I'll just read it to you. I was going to have you turn to it, but I'm going to just read it. Ephesians 2, 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Now, he's talking about reconciling Jew and Gentile, but the, but the, the main principle is still the same. He reconciles us before God, right? Uh, he says in Romans 5.1 that he reconciles us to God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, now watch this. Go to, um, go to um, Isaiah 32. I want to show you something, okay? You guys tracking with me so far? Okay. Now, what is the first thing that the Hebrew writer just mentioned about Melchizedek and Jesus? He's what? He's righteous. He's the king of righteousness, right? Next is what? King of peace. He's king of righteousness first, and then he's king of peace. The order is significant. Look at Isaiah 32, verse 17. And the work of righteousness will be what? The service of righteousness, quietness, and security forever. That's actually a Hebrew parallelism where you can repeat the same idea but develop it maybe further. The work of righteousness is peace. Because we've been justified, we have peace with God. We've been, okay, what's it? You can't have peace without righteousness. God fixes the, the rift between God and man. And the result is now we're at peace. 
This is the righteous act of on the cross. I mean, in, in real life, we see this every day, right? For example, let's just say hypothetically, I've offended my wife. It never happens, but... <laughs> totally hypothetical. I said or did something that upset her, and, and now, you know, guys, we can feel the tension in the house, right? When, right? Come on. We're, we're, we're strong, macho men out there, but when it comes to our wife being mad at us or something wrong, we're wimps, right? We're, we're little boys, because like, what did I do? You know, we did something, right? <laughs> we, we said something. We, we have somehow didn't, we did something. We've hurt her. We've sinned against her. Is there peace in the home? No. When's, when is peace in the home going to be? I want to make things right with her. I apologize, ask forgiveness, whatever it is I have to do to, be, to make it right. When I said this, I didn't mean what you think, thought of it, or I was insensitive to, you know, whatever it is. You do the righteous thing first, and then there will be peace. Now, she may not be warming up to you. She might still hold, you know, it might be a day of silence and thinking about it, but ultimately, <laughs> not in your case, right? But... <laughs> So righteousness first, then peace. People want peace in this world, but there's no righteousness in this world. We want somebody to bring us peace and make sides agree. It's like, but you haven't even addressed the, the sin, the heart of the matter, right? Now, ultimately, that has been done on the cross by Jesus Christ between us. That's the ultimate because at the end of the day, it's your offense before God. But in the practical world level, it's like, there's not going to be peace on this earth until there's somebody of righteousness to rule on this earth. That's Jesus Christ. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. I mean, we have our time even bringing peace between people. But Christ brings the peace of God. He brings peace with God. He brings wholeness. He rules that way. And that peace, when people have peace with God, there should result the peace of God, because peace also follows. See, here's the thing, and this is just a, maybe a little, um, if you struggle with worry, let's say as a Christian, you struggle with worry about maybe God will still punish you for your sin, you're, you're living in the past, you're, you're thinking about what you did, or he's like, how can God ever, I can't forgive myself, but how could he forgive me for this? And you're living, you're not in peace. You're living anxiety and worry and doubt, you know? Because you have not understood that righteousness was already handled. Right? You're, you're living as if you still have to undergo God's righteousness, though you're a believer and you're trusting Christ. Now, it doesn't, you, know, you get what I'm saying, right? When you struggle with worry and anxiety about your sin and you have lack of peace, you have not appropriated the righteousness of Christ to your life. That's why people go on medications, they go to counselors, they go all this stuff. Why? Because they, 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 have to, they are seeking forgiveness and they don't understand how to live in forgiveness because they don't understand what Christ has done for them on the cross. 
I'm talking about believers too, right? When you appropriate, appropriate the righteousness of Christ to your own life, though it's undeserved, we know that he did it for us, there should be that peace that results. Amen? Okay, thirdly, let's go back to Hebrews. Where are we in? Where were we at? We were somewhere. Hebrews 7, right? So firstly, he, he, he's a picture of Christ in that he's king of righteousness. Secondly, he's just like Jesus, he's king of peace. And thirdly, he's a priest. He's a priest. He's priest of God. Now, of course, as I said, in the, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, the Levitical priesthood was very significant. Only priests could offer sacrifices. Only priests can go, and, and only the high priest could actually go into the presence, the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur, Yom, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and offer sacrifice and then leave, right? It was only, only the Levitical priest. Now, the problem, though, is now Hebrews is written before this, but eventually the temple in AD 70 is destroyed. No more priesthood. You know, go, if you go to Israel today, you're gonna go, we're going to go and see the Temple Mount Institute, and they're planning for the rebuilding of the temple. And they actually have a lot of the, the, um, uh, the, the utensils. You know, I, I held a, a bronze, I think it was bronze. It was like, it was heavy. It was like a candlestick holder or some holder. And it was like, they're, they're, they show you the stuff they're building because they want to reinstitute the Levitical priesthood. Unnecessary, of course, right? Christ has already done that, but they don't realize that. And there was no forgiveness without the sacrifice, so the priests would do that. And the priests were imperfect. They also had to sacrifice for themselves. In the Old Testament, you couldn't be, although it doesn't, you, 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 had, okay, you had different functions. So you had a prophet, Prophet spoke to the people for God, spoke to the people, God, prophet to the people, right? The king ruled over the people, right? And the priest mediated between the people and God, okay? You weren't supposed to have, you only had the priest offer the sacrifice. That was his function. You couldn't have somebody else offer sacrifices. That's why... uh, Isaiah says, and I, in the year, uh, King Uzziah died. Why did King Uzziah die? Because he tried to offer sacrifices. First King, Saul. First Samuel, he, Samuel says, hey Saul, you wait here. I'll be back. Don't move. And I'll make sacrifices. Now Saul, has, he's looking at the enemy. And he's looking at his people. He's losing, the, he's losing the crowd. So he's like, you know, I, I might as well offer sacrifice myself. He offers sacrifices and Samuel comes up. Samuel comes on the scene and Samuel's like, told you to wait. Now God's, your kingdom's gone. You try to do that, which is you weren't, you weren't allowed to do. Now, there's a hint though, this is where David comes in. I know I'm getting technical, so you guys still with me? Okay. If we don't finish verse three, that's okay. You know? Let's, we know that David, as king, offers sacrifices. So I think what he's doing in Psalm 110, and now he's pulling this from Genesis 14, there's a hint that, okay, there's somebody that's going to be allowed to do that. But typically, you, you weren't allowed to be a king and offer sacrifices. 
But now what the writer here is going to say, but Jesus is not from that Levitical line. He's from somebody of a different line who's able to offer a, a sacrifice. Melchizedek, of course, precedes the Aaronic priesthood by 700 years, I think it is. He comes before Levi. He is priest of, most, of, of, of the Most High God. So when Abraham gets called by God in Genesis 12 and Genesis 14 meets this guy, Melchizedek, Melchizedek has already been priest of God Most High, the same God as Abraham, which tells me that God's plan for Abraham, though it's going to incorporate the rest of the, the world, he also has his own people in places that you don't realize. And so God is able, and so, and so Abraham recognized his greatness. He's priest of the Most High God. When the demons came on the scene and they saw Jesus, they said, you are, you are the Son of the Most High. Now, it's not most high among other gods, though in their, like in the Canaanite theology, that I thought there was, no, no, there's no one else. He's most high. And here, Melchizedek is priest of God most high. And that same guy is called Abraham. So he's a priest. He won, he's one that comes between God and the people. And Jesus, of course, is our high priest. He, is, he represents us. Now this, is where it gets, now, this is where it gets serious. Look at verse 3. Let's go back to Hebrews, okay? In verse 3, and I'll, and I'll allude to the, the un, his point in verse 3 is that this priesthood is continuous. Now, this is very important. Now, we don't, again, we don't realize that in 2022 in Phoenix, Arizona, not with having any temple, not having any priests, like real priests, like Jesus is the priest, how significant this is. Watch this. He says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Now he's talking about picturing Melchizedek as sort of eternal, but not really. But that's a type of Christ who actually is eternal, right? Jesus Christ, the eternal God. He's the Alpha and Omega, right? But watch this. He's made like the Son of God, but he remains a What? priest continually now this I, I had to stop here okay because oh boy because I know we know that when Christ died on the cross for our sins he paid for all of our sins past present and future right he sat down he sat down at the right hand of the father he, you know his work was it is finished on the cross, it's done. So as a priest, as one who offers sacrifices, his sacrifice did it all. That's why I disagree with the Catholic Church. Every Mass is a sacrifice. Why are you offering sacrifice when Christ already offered the one-time sacrifice? Now I know there's parallels they try to get from the Hebrew. I'm not going to get into that. But Jesus Christ did it all. And if he sat down, and if the veil was torn, an entry to God is now made available. And Hebrews says, now he entered the real veil, the real temple in heaven, not the one on earth that tore, and it was, you know, you can go and see the remnants of it in Jerusalem today. And he sits down at the right hand of the Father. His role as a priest, one of his roles was to offer sacrifice. That's done. 
So I'm like, Lord, why do we need a continual priesthood? Right? Now, this is, I, I, now, now, that's a, that's a good question. Um, why is it that, that, that Jesus, um, and we know that Jesus is predicted to be a priest. Let me just read you a couple of scriptures. We already read Psalm 110, 1 and 4. You're a priest forever according. So forever means forever. Uh, the prophets in Zechariah 6.13 predicted that the Messiah would be both king and priest. He says, yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne. He will be what? A priest on his throne and counsel peace between two offices. Okay, so we know that. And we know that he is the one who justifies and everything else, right? He is both he is both he's both king, he's priest, and he's sacrifice. He's the king, he's the priest, and he's the sacrifice, right? One of the jobs of the priest was to offer the sacrifice. But as a priest, what does he do today since the sacrifice is done? He appropriates to our lives the benefits of that sacrifice. Okay, for example, you've sinned. On what basis can God forgive you? Because of the sacrifice. You can experience forgiveness today, right now, like if I offended somebody and I, asked for, and I repented and everything else and why? Because that sacrifice was done. I'm, I'm experiencing the benefits. But not only that, what else does Melchizedek do? Go back to Genesis 14. Go back to Genesis 14. You guys still with me? Okay, we're having fun, aren't we? I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Does Melchizedek, in this te text of Scripture in Genesis 14, now we know he's a priest, but does he offer sacrifice in this chapter? We know he offers sacrifice at some point, some point. But what does he do to Abraham? He blesses him. He blesses Abraham. He also does, what does he bring Abraham? It's in verse, verse 18. Bread and wine. Now in this context, that bread and wine is, is to refresh the soul of, of, the, of the troops. So as a priest, he refreshes and he blesses. Right? Jesus is, now, of course, God is eternal. God is almighty, right? And we're frail human beings, so we're going to make mistakes, right? But I think in eternity, there's a continual realization of the blessings 
of what Christ has done, even in heaven. Okay, go to Matthew 5. I want to show you something. How does, go to Matthew 5. How does Jesus begin his ministry? What's the first word in chapter 5, verse 3? What's the first word? Blessed. Blessed are the, the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are lowly. Jesus Christ begins his ministry with what? Blessing. If, I mem- if my memory serves me correctly... Let me just go back and look at something here. We know that, um, I mean, that's it. Um, he begins his ministry with blessing. That's how Jesus rolls, with blessing. What's the foundation of that blessing? It's the cross. What did they put above Jesus on the cross? King. This is Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. He's king, he's priest, and he's the sacrifice. And so, in one sense, and I know I, 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 I'm not um, digging as far, far deep into this, but one of the things that Jesus will do as priest, of course, it says the, that he, he is always, he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession. So he's praying for us. He's He's still interceding for us before the Father. And He will always be the one who intercedes for us. He will, we will always have a spokesperson, a representative in heaven before God. One who knows, okay, if you want a good attorney, you want an attorney that knows the law, right? You want the one who really knows the law, who knows all of the fine print. Well, this case, your honor, da-da-da, takes care of this issue. Jesus knows it all, and He also pays for all. So we have that benefit of that high priest, and we will always have that benefit of saying, Jesus is my representative. But we will also have the benefit of the fact that he will pour out his blessings are because of his priesthood. Matthew 5, look at Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 talks about the blessings that we have in Christ. So what is Jesus doing as our priest? He is bringing forth blessing on his people because of his one-time sacrifice on the cross. And you and I, as we live through life, we'll begin to understand and experience the, the benefits of, of, that, of that sacrifice, have the appropriation of, of what he's done onto our lives so that we live in blessing. Does that make sense? God is a God of blessing, and this is one, one of the points he's, he's uh, going to be making here. I need to stop, but all I have to say is this is that do you, first of all, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is your faith in Him and what He did for you on the cross? Was, do you understand that His blood, sacrifice, sinless for your every kind of sin you can think of and then some was paid for? Do you have that sure foundation and trust and hope don't look to yourself as an example of righteousness. Look to Christ. Right? Secondly, do you understand God, Jesus Christ, who is blessing you by praying for you, who is blessing you by giving you everything he accomplished is on your winning side. It's like when your team wins, 
you feel like you've got the victory, right? Even though they did the hard work on the field, you're experiencing the blessings of, hey, that's my team. Do you realize that? We have a blessing God. We have a God who has accomplished all. And, and bless God, three verses, hey, praise the Lord, right? What are we going to do? Well, we're going we're gonna to give God praise and just, uh, just, just thank him. There's nothing more you can add to what Christ has done on the cross. I don't know about you, that's a weight lifted off my shoulders. Now help me to understand, Lord, how to, appropriate, how to really apply that. And you know, that applies to me here? Oh, that's freeing. Help me to live that way, though, too. Help me to live with that grace that God has given to me, to my own family, to my wife. If if Jesus is my king of righteousness, help me as a man of God to righteously treat her with truth and love and be like Jesus. To lead her as a king, not a bad king, but a good king, so that my people can follow Christ as well. Guys, I'm going to stop (laughs) because I'm going to go on for three more hours. Let's pray. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our king. You are our priest. You are our sacrifice. You are our representative. You are our God. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy that our very lives would reflect your presence and that what you've done, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to, to follow, always keep our eyes on Christ and to to realize how much we are loved by him. And Lord, I pray your blessing on, on, on everyone here today and uh, as, as men who are in this, in this house that we would, we would have the humility of Christ but also the godly character of Christ and that we would lead our families as Jesus would. And I pray, Lord, that we as, as, as believers in Christ would be an example to the world and is looking for peace. Let it be that we point people to Christ through our lives, through, through, through our example of, of and pointing people to, to, to his, his sacrifice, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I had 15 pages of notes and got through the first seven pages, so there you go. Why don't we stand up? (laughs) Well, one of the wonderful things I get to do at the end is to to pronounce a blessing on y'all. Suddenly became Texas just now, y'all. <laughs> Moses told Aaron to to say these words and place my na- uh, his name, God's name, on on his people. And he says, "The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace." In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. I bless you guys. See you next time. Remember this Friday worship worship night. I'm gonna have a little devotional. We have time of praise and worship. We're gonna have a lot of fun. 
just just adoring the Lord, you know, just just adoring the Lord in, in a time of prayer as well. If you're online, say hello. Uh, otherwise, uh, we'll see you guys next time.